Welcome to Lou Palumbo's Between the Lines. Problem solving for our future. Lou. Common sense, logic, and reasoning. Lou. The man that can't stand hate and animus. Lou. Stimulating the thought process of America. Lou. Where being right is not political, it's factual. Lou. Providing real solutions in real time. And now, here's your host, Lou Palumbo. We're back with you again, ladies and gentlemen. And something I'd like to speak to immediately, which is garnering more and more attention, especially with the recent uh, migration movement from Texas to Washington, D.C. and to New York. Amongst other things, it's critically important to understand that what's going on at the border just does not lend itself to people coming into the country illegally. Other issues such as sex trafficking and narcotics trafficking are rampant. Um, I had intended on actually doing a little research today, which I'm sure my producer will do for me now, to find out how many people died in the United States last year from fentanyl overdose and how many have died this year so far. I think it will probably stagger you. And for some reason, we seem to be incapable of understanding that we don't need to close the border, but they need to be regulated judiciously. Now, with that being said, I mentioned prior um, that the director of the FBI, Christopher Ray, came out approximately a week and a half ago, two weeks maximum, and made statements to the effect that what's going on at the border is a threat to our national security. I would think anyone supporting that activity would be treasonous. I'm not sure. It doesn't seem to be any boundaries in the country today, whether it's looting, rioting, arson, protesting outside of our homes of our uh, Supreme Court justices, which is a violation of tar- Title 18. Um, and we, we just have no boundaries we will not cross. But independent of that, I think it's going to be real interesting when we come to you with the statistics with fentanyl overdose. The correlation, to be very candid with you, um, deals with them chasing other issues that are real hot button, like gun control. You need to lay off the gun control legislation and start to figure out how you're going to dedicate resources and assets to this border. Interestingly enough, last year there was 71,238 fentanyl deaths that we're aware of. This year so far we're at 57,834. In fact, let me, let me go back on that. Let me correct myself. In 2020, there were 57,834. 2021, 71,238. And I do know the projection is upwards to 100,000 this year. I am just, you know, it seems to be a moral vacuum running the country today. And I'm not saying that because I'm leaning one political party over the other. I just think in general, some of these things need to be brought to light and addressed. I don't know why the Republicans are not speaking to this problem more fervently. We shouldn't have to wait for the midterm elections to put these things in the mind of the American public. The other interesting part of this conversation is that I make a point of watching the the major news networks, the 24-hour cycle, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox. 
the only one that seems to give any type of attention to the border and what's transpiring there has to happens to be Fox. Everyone else is glossing over it. That lends itself once again to their political views, their bias, their decisions, all three of them, to become extensions of our political party. And please know, so do the, the, the networks, ABC, CBN, CBS, and NBC. They're doing the exact same thing. And the coverage oftentimes is the same. You know, we have a problem at this border. What I find also interesting today is the fact that we can't wrap our arms around the significance of what's transpiring at the border. But the minute we send a couple of thousand people into Washington, D.C. and New York City, all hell, all hell, holy hell broke loose. That's the only thing I can say to you. The mayor in D.C. is calling for the National Guard. Well, if a couple of thousand people in your city is significant enough to request the National Guard, what about when millions of people are crossing our border at the four bordering states? Why isn't there this hue and cry to have the National Guard? I mean, this is just confounding, guys. And I'm not trying to stir the political environment. I, I tell you this about this show. It's not we're bipartisan. We're just attached to the truth because both sides of the aisle are having some issues with veracity, you know, and that's just simple said uh, truth attached to this topic. This isn't about politics. It's about truth. It's about all the deficiencies that are transpiring in this country today that are going to translate to the future of our children and young people in general and the future of this country. It's amazing to think that we get a couple of busloads of people in New York City and Eric Adams is calling for aid and support from the federal government. You know what's interesting about that? A few weeks ago, I had a young lady on, on this uh, podcast, Kareen Shannon, and I spoke to her specifically about who's financing this journey here with the people illegally crossing our border, who, by the way, I remind everyone we can't employ. It's illegal to employ someone who's illegal in the country for a myriad of reasons, one of them has to do with they don't have social security cards and not paying taxes. She told me that wasn't happening. We did a little more research, found out it was. Something else that was a little disconcerting is that she seemed to be unaware of the fact that we have been for quite some time in a rather indiscriminate manner transporting migrants from bordering states to places like Nashville, Tennessee, Westchester, New York, their airport. We've got them on tape. We've got them videoed. You know, irrefutable. This is a very, very defining moment in the, in the history of this country here. And I'm just touching on one topic. We, I don't know how we get our major cities back, guys. And for those people that don't feel affected by the fact that you don't have to live in or deal with a major city, you have to understand what they represent. You know, I, I don't know what to tell everyone, but I'm watching right now in New York the same thing that transpired in Detroit, a loss of tax base. The numbers I hear regarding vacancy in commercial real estate in New York are staggering, like 40%. That's tax base. There are rumblings on Wall Street that some of these big firms like Goldman Sachs, they're having a problem getting their people coming to work because there's a safety issue in New York City. Talking about potentially leaving, guarantee you. I guarantee you there are other governors, um, interestingly enough, one from Texas, came our Department of Energy head, um, you know, courting them to come there because it's so financially attractive. I'll tell you something else that's interesting. You know, people in Florida, for example, are watching the migration 
from states like New York and New Jersey, other states, they're probably unaware that when someone who retires in the city or state of New York, for example, moves to Florida, moves to Tennessee, moves to Texas, moves to Nevada, they pick up about another 12 to 14% in their earnings because they're no longer paying state tax. What's really interesting is that all these taxes that they're paying don't support the agenda they would like. It's really very interesting. In any event, you know, we're going to continue to have these conversations. The border is a hot spot, no question. This fentanyl issue, I don't even know what to say. I mentioned a few weeks ago we lose 480,000 people to cigarette smoke and smoking-related illnesses, 41,000 secondary. We're not, up, we're not concerned about it. We're worried about electric cars, which are not even close to be positioned to transition into. It's just a simple, sad truth. It has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats. It has to do with the truth. Guys, it's like the cuckoo left the clock. I think all of us are in favor of cleaner energy, a better future for our country, right? Our children. But you have to have that mechanism in place that will allow us to move from point A to point B. And that just simply isn't there. And the explanation by the government is, at the end of this, after you've, after you've suffered substantially in a financial manner, you'll be better for it. I don't know what that rationale thinking is. And I heard the president say, and I heard Buttigieg say the same thing. So, guys, we're going to go to a quick break, and we're going to come right back and take you right into our guest today, Paul D. Rader. But before we get there, I do want to thank Buzzsprout and Instacart, uh, two sponsors. I tell you, I encourage you to to um, go to the internet, betweenthelines.tv, correspond with me, phone in, um, emails, what, whatever way works for you. You know, you've got to become of a much become part of a much broader conversation. This is not about contention, guys. This is about survival. And without further ado, I think I'm going to introduce Mr. Raider. Paul, are you there, sir? Yes, I am. How are you? I'm doing all right, good sir. How are you? I'm good. And where are you sitting these days? I'm in the old sunshine state of Florida, about an hour north of Tampa. Uh -huh. Are you a, a, a Floridian? Yep, yep. Uh, technically not born here, but we moved here when I was a baby. So and, and where's I'm, your, I'm a native. Where's your, oh, I agree. Where's your Where's your family originally from, Paul? Uh, well, no, my mom is actually born in Virginia. My dad was born in Pennsylvania. When they had my sister and I, though, we were they were up in New York. Uh huh. So you've been around the block a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know quite about that. Ninety nine percent of my life was in Florida, but I've, I've been around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, you've been around enough to write a book. Why independents rarely win elections and how to become more competitive. Uh, which takes a comprehensive look at roadblocks facing independent candidates for political office in the U.S. So you must be traveling a little bit. I see that you have a master's degree in political science, and you're kind of tired of the toxicity that exists in the political world. Yeah, I, I just wanted to give something a little bit different. I, I knew that politics was what I wanted to get into, and I... But I, there's a lot of stuff about it, obviously, that you know drives me crazy. So I, I wanted to get into it. I always really like the analytical side of things, but I want to tackle some of the questions that don't necessarily get answered. I don't want to just have you know clickbait headlines or just you know trying to get people to listen in just 
spewing off the same things that you you always hear. So I wanted to give something a little bit different. I, I need to ask you a really important question, and it deals with your demographic. How old are you, Paul? I'm going to be 29 tomorrow, actually. Boy, you got a long road of this stupidity ahead of you, don't you? <laughs> you know, uh, you, you have to understand what's driving this show, and it's it's people like you, buddy, because I'm 70, and I'll be candid with you. I'm going to hop, skip, and jump through the rest of this journey. What I've experienced in my lifetime is just disheartening. I don't know where we went wrong. I have my own theories about the shift in priority around 1980 towards money and the stock market and the direction that took us based on that attachment we have to money. But the political landscape has just changed dramatically. And this notion of compromise is gone. The conversations involving civility and decency and respect they're gone, and we just have divide, divide, divide. And what's interesting is that a lot of the division is taking place even within the Democratic Party, and we do need a healthy Democratic Party, Paul, whether people like to embrace that concept or not. So I, I know that you have some concerns or you have some feelings towards Liz Cheney, for example, and the overall political climate in the country. Well, not necessarily feelings towards uh, Liz Cheney itself, but other than that, yeah, I, I I totally agree, and that's why I try to keep everything as for for me personally as nonpartisan as possible, and it makes it a little bit easier to to get a well rounded view of the issues. But I think regarding Liz Cheney, it's it's definitely an interesting. Like uh, obviously, Donald Trump has still has significant pull in the Republican party, but you also got to remember he wasn't president all that long ago. And he's, he's basically, he basically feels like he's everywhere. The media gives him, you know, what some people call free media. Cause they're always paying attention to him. Well, why does he always get all this attention? Well, you keep giving him the attention. If you don't want him to have the attention, then you shouldn't be covering him so much. But that's the thing is it's what people want to hear uh, that we, we, we talk a lot about how, you know, me- media consumption, we, we, a lot of people express their distaste for media and certainly media has a lot of blame uh, to, to take for it. But at the same time, our consumption habits, we like conflict, we like drama and it's, it's what sells. So the media keeps giving us more of it. And it's, it's not so much trying to like put blame on anybody, but the media and its consumers need to realize the reciprocal nature of that issue. Yeah, that's a very, very excellent point you just made, Paul. But, you know, I mentioned this word toxicity in the political system. And I think what you're alluding to right now is there's a lot of toxicity in the media. And I am kind of reminding people almost on a daily basis, there needs to be some kind of course correction with them. Because whether we like to face this or not, this new 24-hour news cycle has taken us to a very, very dangerous point. There seems to be no oversight. You know, I, I'm out of the law enforcement community. I know I've got oversight. I know doctors do, lawyers do, teachers do. In fact, I can't think of anyone who doesn't except the media. They seem to be able to, with impunity, say whatever they want, whenever they want, regarding any topic, whether or not they're literate. And that's one of the problems driving the country today. This is a very, very serious problem because... They're pushing the thought process in this country. And you're right. The public feeds off it as well. But bottom line is, I think we'll both agree, it's not healthy for this country. 
And it's just fueling the animosity, the hatred, the divide, the division. And the media is leading the charge with a little help from their friends, some of those in the elected capacity. But the thing that's so interesting and scary about the media is that if you and I were elected officials today and we had a message, they would determine whether or not the public got to hear it. And that's what we're seeing every day, Paul. You know, we're getting one network that'll give you live coverage at the border with people swimming the Rio Grande or breaching um, uh, Texas's borders, and the other networks don't touch it at all. I guess it doesn't feed their political agenda. There's got to be some, how would you say, reconciliation here as to what's going on with the media because this is just simply unhealthy. I do want to just say one thing about Liz Cheney, which I spoke to. I respect Liz Cheney for her her nobility in challenging her legitimacy of Donald Trump's behavior, period. But these very same people that she sat in a room with vilified and attacked her father, Paul. You do know that, right? During the Bush administration, they called him a murderer. They called him every derogatory and demeaning thing you could possibly call an elected official. And now she sits there shoulder to shoulder with Adam Schiff, Schumer, Nadler, the list is long and long and distinguished. I'm really confused as to what she doesn't understand about where it's safe to go and where it isn't. She could have carried this campaign um, concerning Trump's behavior, his demeanor, the manner in which he governed the country in a much, much different way, in a much more positive light. But as you and I probably believe, probably just cost um, her, her seat and, and the Congress. And the next guy that's gone is this kid Hunsinger. Is that his name? But he's voluntarily going because he hears the drums beating, Paul. I think you'll agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I can't really argue with any of that. With with Liz Cheney, um, you know, obviously I can't, you know, totally get what's, what's in, in her head and, you know, her entire thought processes. But, I mean, she's definitely, she's clearly thought long and hard about whether to go in the direction that she has. And some people, you know, even though there's the incentive to either stick with your party or to to leave your party, it, it seems that she just it, it, sometimes, you you know, you, you try not to think about what the incentive is and you do what you think is right. And it seems that that's what Liz Cheney did. Yeah, at a cost. I, I want to ask you a question because, you know, you you are you've got some time here. You're part of this youth that I'm gravely concerned about. Um, as gently and diplomatically as you can put it, what are your perceptions or your opinions of Donald Trump? Well, I, I personally try not to get into it just because I am trying to stick with that uh, nonpartisan route. But that being said, I, I do think that it's, it's just another case of like what you're talking about, this absolute toxicity that we see in this culture. And it's just it's just rampant and we and well not us specifically but a lot of people conveniently like to gloss over uh whenever it's their side doing it. it's always convenient when you talk about somebody who's not on your political side of the aisle doing it but you know then when when your when your side is doing it then it's suddenly you have all these uh justifications for for why that's the case and it's just it's just not healthy it's also I think part of the problem there is there's a real lack of political competition. And I'm not just talking about uh, with independents, like what I'm talking about in the book where independents have a lot of times they just have very little 
chance to make any sort of noise. But even between the two parties, there's some places where Republicans, no matter what they do, they're not going to be the Democrat. There's places where Democrats, no matter what they do, they're not going to beat a Republican. And you see a lot more of those kinds of situations. And it's just a lot of that lack of political competition also kind of feeds into this issue we're talking about, about you know toxicity and just lambasting the other side with all sorts of vile accusations that you can think of. And it's just it's just kind of there's just that incentive for people to keep on doing it. And if you don't really work on trying to make things more competitive and I mean, there's a, that's a whole other can of worms to get into, but if you don't work on making things more competitive, then there's still just going to be that incentive for people to do that. Just trying to win their primary because in the general, nobody's really going to be able to challenge them. We're going to take a quick break, um, Paul, and uh, come right back to you. And we're going to continue this conversation um, I do agree with everything you're saying. We do need a little more flavor here. Guys, we'll be right back. Just stick with us. If you're looking for peace of mind, look no further than Global Elite for your safety. Global Elite Security Force is made up of active and former law enforcement agents. Their force has worked at the federal, state, and local level. They are dedicated to providing the most professional personal security and investigative services available in the private sector. With offices nationwide and globally, this footprint gives Global Elite the ability to coordinate protection and security anywhere in the world. Think of Global Elite Protection Services for special events, dignitaries, high-profile net worth individuals, and the entertainment industry security services. Offering drones, weapons detection, shot sporting, chem bio detection, executive protection surveillance, dignitary protection, threat assessment, private investigation, and cyber security. They are the experts in intelligence and private protection services. Go to globalelite.us.com. That's globalelite.us.com to engage global elite. Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast and found the process confusing and overwhelming? Well, let Studio Podcast Suites of Jacksonville make it easy for you. They have everything you need to record, produce, and distribute a professional-sounding podcast. Studio Podcast Suites is Jacksonville's only five-star rated professional podcast studio rental and podcast service company. Studio Podcast Suites provides two clean and comfortable state-of-the-art recording suites for both audio and video podcast recording. They offer a complete menu of podcast services, including editing, podcast art, hosting, video, consulting, and more. Studio Podcast Suites. Jacksonville's premier professional podcast studio recording and podcast service company. Book your studio today at studiopodcastsuites.com. That's studiopodcastsuites, S-U-I-T-E-S dot com. Studio Podcast Suites. So we're back, ladies and gentlemen, and I have a young, a young man with me today, Paul Rader. He has written a book. Um, and Lloyd, if you'd be kind enough, I could have that book. Okay. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to reintroduce this young man with me, Paul Rader. He's written a book, Why Independents Really Win Elections, and how they could be more competitive, which takes a comprehensive look at the roadblocks facing independent candidates who are running for political office in the United States today. Just to remind you all, Paul has a master's degree in political science, and I guess he's a little upset with the toxicity, like a lot of people are today. And um, what, what I find interesting in speaking to Paul is he's that 
target generation of mine, one of the young people in this country, and he's got some really interesting insights for a young man. He's already connected the dots that a lot of the big people haven't connected. And by big people, I mean people who are further down the road in their political careers or in the media. Um, I, I want to say one thing, Paul, just very quickly. I think um, term limits are critically important at this point as well. I, I do agree, especially with a country of a population of 335 million, we need a little more choice as to what we're allowed to take a peek at. But I think term limits, which ironically is something that Donald Trump even spoke to addressing, is critical at this point. You know, And we've had a couple of opportunities. I think perhaps the most viable was Ross Perot problem with him he was in again out again and that just doesn't lend itself to anything but i want to bring something to your attention that you may be aware of um i know you witnessed um mr bloomberg get into the primary and spend 500 million dollars part of the problem correct me if i'm wrong paul because you're the political science major in the family it was my minor in college by the way oh nice yeah yeah I, i started out in political science i won't tell you why i changed i went to history briefly then i graduated with a degree in philosophy and I had 21 credits in political science. But as I was saying, Mr. Bloomberg could have financed a third party with $500 million. And you and I both know what hamstrings us in running for office is money. You've got to buy into one of these agendas. And therein lies the root of this problem. No one wants to, if you're smart, be married to the Republicans or the Democrats at this point. Because unfortunately, regardless of the percentage of of contribution. They're both contributing to the decline of this country. I'm not going to get into the politics of it. I encourage people to see the forest for the trees, Paul. Look at your major cities. Look at your border. Look at your foreign policy. Look at your economy. I'm not telling anybody who to vote for. I'm just saying you have to embrace this this concept of truth. And, you know, I tell you interestingly enough, Paul, I know you'll appreciate this, it's highly likely that the Republicans will be back in control in November. I want to see what they do when they get their at-bat. You know what I mean? You're going to be at-bat now. Let's see what you do. Your impressions. Well, w- regarding the taking back the majority, I think there's a, it's a pretty good chance that they take back at least the U.S. House. You look at midterm elections historically, just the, the party not in power, or at least the party that's not the president's party, especially recently they've been just shellacked in midterm elections uh obama lost 40 uh back in 2014 and then i think 63 in 2010 2010 and then donald trump himself lost i want to say it was something like 36 or something in 2014 so if we go by especially the recent history but midterms have done that for the most part for a while uh there's a really good chance with less than I want to say, if I remember correctly, it's 220 Democrats and 211 Republicans right now. So mathematically, there's a very realistic chance. And you also see uh, the election ratings organizations like Cook, Inside Elections, Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball. They all seem to indicate that there's a very good chance that Republicans at least take back the U.S. House. The U.S. Senate is a little bit iffier because there are more Republicans up for re-election than Democrats, but not every one of those seats is going to be competitive. And they do seem to have a few more and by those election ratings organizations. Again, they do have uh, a lot more. They have more Democrats up and toss up or slightly lean Democratic uh, 
seats than Republicans in toss-ups and lean Republican seats. So there is a at least a realistic chance that at least obviously president's not up for for election this year so that's obviously going to stay democratic but we could possibly see both chambers of congress become republican you know the the thing i want to say to you uh, i want to ask you this um uh, paul out of curiosity did you happen to track last november what took place across the country with the republicans for example in new york they swept nassau and suffolk counties they almost won new jersey they beat terry mcauliffe in virginia they swept on the west coast you know, there's an interesting dynamic attached to conservative people, and I'm not—I'm conservative by nature myself, to be candid with you. Although I have a lot of liberal tinge, social issues, but they kind of lay in wait, you know. And if you listen to the polls when Hillary Clinton was running against Trump, they weren't even in the horse race. And I think the same thing's going to happen here. If we—I and I've listened to MSNBC and CNN even allude to this—that they've lost a lot in their own party, and they've lost the independence. They're losing the Latino vote. My gut instinct is that this is going to decimate them in November. And I'm not saying that because I want one party to win over the other. I'm just looking at the landscape and I'm watching everything kind of line up right now. I don't think people understand how upset Americans are today. And because we're not out here burning the house down doesn't mean we're not upset. You know, the thing I learned about conservatives, and I'm not going to start to get into a whole political discussion. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Every time we have a democratic upsetment, it translates oftentimes to civil disobedience and rioting and arson and destroying businesses. If you look at what's going on in our major cities, it's irrefutable. We can argue with it all we want. It's not about politics. It's about the truth. They're democratically run cities, and people are tired of this. And I think that the pushback in November is going to be resounding. That's all I want to say to you. I do want to ask you this question. What, do you think voting third party is a wasted vote? What's your opinion on that, Paul? I don't think any vote is a wasted vote. If you're putting for for me personally, I don't think it's a wasted vote. Uh, regard whoever you decide to vote for, because I think you should vote who you really think is the best choice. But that is one of the uh, psychological blocks I I talk about in the book, and it's one that I really stress because I think a lot of people don't realize how much. A lot of independent or would be independent voters, maybe Republicans or Democrats that are disaffected from their party, they don't realize how their thought processes also really make these independent candidates have a difficult time in election. Because if you're if you're sitting there and there's this many people talking about it's a wasted vote, so I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils. Well, then it's just going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy of independence never or not or at least not winning any of these major elections you you'll see you see uh, some of them at more local levels can i but, just say one thing very quickly paul not to interrupt you sir but yeah one of my concerns is that the independents have to prop up someone who i consider to be a legitimate viable candidate and ross perot had our attention I, do you recall his vice presidential pick by some chance the admiral Admiral Stockdale, yes. Admiral Stockdale. You know, his faculties were gone. You know, I don't know what the vetting process was, and I I mean um, nothing malicious directed towards. It's just father time catches us. We're having this conversation about the current president, you know, about father time having caught him. Um, But the bottom line is they need a viable, legitimate candidate. I'll give you a person, Tulsi Gabbard. 
um, legitimate. She's got the attention of both sides of the aisle. She gets a lot of media coverage, as you know, although the MSNBC and CNN really play her. Fox plays her a lot. But she's, um, she's, she's got a shot at being a very viable, um, legitimate candidate for independence. Your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's hard to say when there's still another two years from the next presidential general election. But as of right now, I mean, it does make sense for somebody to think that Tulsi Gabbard would be a viable contender. But still a long way to go. There's a lot that can change. There's all sorts of things that can come out. She still needs to be able to generate enough money. The media has to give reasonable amounts of coverage. That's part of the problem, too, is that they focus on Republicans and Democrats because in part because that's what a lot of people want to know about. So sometimes people just aren't aware that there's an independent candidate because somebody people like you and me, we're we're on top of these things because this is this is what our you know what we do for a living. But regular voters aren't necessarily paying attention to all these kinds of events. And so two years down the road, this might not even be a conversation we're having. They might have totally forgotten anything about Tulsi Gabbard or, you know, anybody else who could possibly be a viable contender. And they also have a lot less uh, room for error than a Republican or Democrat. As soon as an independent, you know, makes a gaffe, it's, it gets just played ad nauseum. Like when, uh, if, if you consider third parties independent, uh, Gary Johnson, when he said, what is Aleppo? You know, any sort of chance that he might've had to make some noise, it just, completely that, that's exactly what i was alluding to uh um, paul exactly this was their third party candidate and you've got to be better prepared than that i mean you've got to be ready for prime time but i i you know you you're right we're i think we're in a quagmire here because it doesn't serve either side of the media or the political mechanism to allow a legitimate third party candidate to be considered um, I go back to saying term limits because I think that's that'll bring in what we call course correction. Um, I, I don't. I just want to ask you this, and you don't have to really delve into it. But you know, they attacked the legitimacy of this last election, twenty twenty. You have any thoughts on that yourself? What, how do how do you feel about that as a young person? Well, I think there's you. You see it in a lot of uh, like the Pew Research Center, for example. They've done. I can't remember any numbers off the top of my head, but since at least 2000 with the 2000 election, the voters of the party that's not in power or at least didn't win the presidency, they tend to have much lower rates of belief that we have strong elections. And then conveniently the president's party, those voters think that elections are fine. And I think you really saw that a lot with 2016 and 2020 where Donald Trump won in 2016 Democrats, were a lot of them were convinced that the election was stolen. Now it's 2020, the shoes on the other foot. Now a lot of Republicans are concerned that the election has been stolen. For me personally, I mean, I don't think that it's nearly as dire as anybody makes up to me. I think it's a lot of it is predicated on people's partisan affiliations, but at the same time, that's it, it is something we have to contend with, and it's something that's been around for a long time. Partisan. Uh, identification colors everybody or not everybody's obviously but a lot of people's perceptions and everything and these are the people who participate at the highest rates 
So they're the ones that are having outsized influence on how these elections play out. You know, Paul, um, Paul, I do want to say one thing in relation to this relation to this most recent election. You know, um, I listened to Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, actually, his team approached me to handle his security, just financial. They I don't think they wanted to pay my rate, period. And I know that's what it was. But um, he accused the Democratic Party, the DNC, under Wasserman Schultz of undermining his primary efforts. You know, um, you're aware of that. We then caught Donna Brazil twice providing questions to Hillary Clinton prior to the CNN primary debates with Bernie Sanders. And you wonder why there's doubt. You see that this is, you know, they're doing this to us. This is why there has to be some form of accountability. What was the fallout of Bernie Sanders accusations, especially after they came to fruition? Absolutely nothing. But what it did fuel was a lot of people to go like, wait a minute, you're cheating your own guy. Why wouldn't you cheat Donald Trump? or the country for that matter. And I hate to say this, I'm not going to get into what I do professionally and who I've worked for, but I brushed up uh, um, against a lot of interesting individuals, which is why my brain is in the gear it's in today. Probably the same way. You're just ahead of your time. I do want to tell you, wait till you get older, Paul, and you get tired of the crazy. And, and more importantly, you get tired of trying to understand why. Why everything is so convoluted. Why everything's so complex. Why everything's so distorted. I just can't wrap my arms around this because our, our young people, our young people's future is weighing in the balance right now. You, I don't know what this country's going to be in, in uh, 60 years. You're 29 years old. If you take care of yourself, if you're proactive with cardiology and urology, there's a good chance you'll make it to 90 hop skipping and jumping. What's this place going to be in 60 years? I had a better one. What's it going to be in the next five or 10 years if we don't change the manner in which we do business? And I'm not saying we can't disagree. I think the big message here is it's okay that we don't agree, but it has to do with the lack of civility and expressing how we disagree with one another. And I don't want to point fingers. I know you don't want to do that, and I'm not into that either, but I'm kind of truth-born, and wherever the truth takes me, it takes me. But I don't want to hear polarization by Donald Trump. Start talking about Barack Obama because that's where it started in this country. I was gravely disappointed because he could have taken us in a much better direction than he did. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back to this young gentleman, Paul Rader, who's written a book. I'll tell you about it when we get back. Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast and found the process confusing and overwhelming? Well, let Studio Podcast Suites of Jacksonville make it easy for you. They have everything you need to record, produce, and distribute a professional-sounding podcast. Studio Podcast Suites is Jacksonville's only five-star rated professional podcast studio rental and podcast service company. Studio Podcast Suites provides two clean and comfortable state-of-the-art recording suites for both audio and video podcast recording. They offer a complete menu of podcast services, including editing, podcast art, hosting, video, consulting, and more. Studio Podcast Suites. Jacksonville's premier professional podcast studio recording and podcast service company. Book your studio today at studiopodcastsuites.com. That's studiopodcastsuites, S-U-I-T-E-S dot com. Studio Podcast Suites. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and I have, um, I just want to say, 
uh, this young man's a little ahead of his time. It's interesting that he's connected many of the dots here that a lot of younger people in his demographic aren't thinking about. He wrote a book, Why Independents Rarely Win Elections and How to Become More Competitive, uh, which is really, it's like a comprehensive look at the roadblocks facing independent candidates and why they don't win in the U.S. Has a master's degree in political science. Before I get going, Paul, where'd you go to school, buddy? So my undergrad was at the University of South Florida, go Bulls. And then I did grad school at the University of Florida. So go Gators. Yeah. University of Florida is excellent school. Um, we were talking about just briefly the legitimacy of the electoral election process, you know, and, and again, I go back and say this to you, buddy, it would help if the media managed that discussion, right? more responsibly than they have. They don't have to necessarily take sides every time. We just have to try to keep, you know, I would say keep the jungle calm. And I hate to use that expression, but that's a little bit about what happens. Their rhetoric amps everyone up and causes a bigger divide. Let me ask you this. Um, Can you explain why uh, we're not a democracy? Here's the question. Are we a democracy or are we a republic? Well, I mean, that's the thing a lot of people talk about, you know, depending on your point of view, that democracy is in danger. And we, we do have democratic ideals, yes, but we are still nominally a republic. We, we, not, we don't all vote on every single thing that's going on. We have people that represent us in, in federal legislature. So by the pure definition, we are a republic. Obviously, there are democratic elements to it, but we are still a republic. I want you to tell me some changes you like to see take place with this government. I want to hear what you have to say as a young, young uh, American. Well, I mean, it is a little bit different since I don't want to have say anything that could be construed as partisan or ideological. But you were bringing up term limits earlier, and I was hoping at some point to write a book about just general, not partisan ideological issues, but more about. Uh, quote unquote government reforms and you know what what do people who support these say and what do people who oppose these say what are some of the things that you have to account for and with term limits ideally i i'll say ideally i would support them but you also have to think about well what do those term limits look like so we have 15 states right now where their state legislatures have term limits and a lot of them have been in like the past like 20 30 years and they all look way different. Some of them are like eight eight years. Some of them can be like twelve years. Some of them are consecutive, where you ha- you can serve up to that maximum amount, then you have to sit out a, a, a term, and then you can come back. Sometimes they're cumulative, where you, as soon as you serve that number of years in that chamber, that's it. You can't ever come back to that chamber. So, where exactly that I, I, that happy medium, I guess is for u.s congress that's where you start to get a little bit into the weeds of things so it's 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 all well and good to say that we should have term limits and and maybe we should but how do those term limits actually look and i think that's uh a part of the issue but that being said i think term limits are a very interesting topic to bring up and uh, as much as campaign finance reform is is needed as well. I don't think anybody would argue it's not. It's also, you know, you start to get into free speech considerations. What if you put like a cap on 
the amount of money that could be spent in a single election. Well, somebody could say that that's you know a violation of free speech or it's a violation of the uh, decision that came from the Citizens United case. So there's all those little nooks and crannies you got to still watch out for. It's a lot of the, very few times are these things completely straightforward, even if it's something I personally support. I want to ask you this, buddy. Um, and this is not a political question. I want to ask you how you feel about the direction this country is moving in. Well, certainly just, you know, what we were talking about before with the divisiveness, it's it's not sustainable. And it's it, this is something that's been going on for many, many years, arguably before even I was born. Uh, it's not necessarily unprecedented. I mean, we did we there was a time where this country was completely separated in two. And, you know, the, the, the divisiveness kind of in terms of parties has kind of ebbed and flowed uh, in, in terms of party strength. But I think one of the really big differences in today is just how much easier it is to foment and to kind of accelerate, like throwing gasoline on the fire. Social media for all its all the good that it's done to connect people together. It's also brought a lot of divisiveness yes you have a way where people can circumvent the filter that traditional media has placed on people but now it's a lot of other people who can just say something that's completely uninformed or you know share something that just happens to coincide with their views so in that regard yes i am very concerned and that's part of why i even do what i do in the first place with all this nonpartisan analytical work you know, advocating for civics and all that. So it is something that is very concerning to me. And it is, it is a track that is eventually just going to be completely unsustainable and something is going to have to change. You know, I, I want to bring, and I know you're aware of this already, but I want to bring to the attention of the public, you know, when we started this country, the population was about two and a half million. In the year 1970, we were 200 million. In the year 2000, we were 285 million. We added another 50 million to that. Do you think that the continued growth of the population of this country presents a problem, in your opinion, especially when we start to consider we have two parties representing this large number of people? I'll admit that's a little bit above above my pay grade, but you also... Yeah, but you have an Consider. opinion. You, you have an opinion, Paul, because th- what's going on today and the growth of this country, there's a direct correlation to your future. So you have something to say about that. So it doesn't have to be scientifically based, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem is it's just people are really getting conglomerated in very smaller areas of the country. You have you know, out in the Midwest, there's a lot more sparsely populated areas areas for, you know, whatever reason. And I think it would be helpful for resources if people started to move out to these more sparsely populated areas and not not to where there's already a lot of people and there's issues with overcrowding, with lack of housing, with you know, food or anything like that, especially with the issues going on in the world economy today. And I think that would that would at least help going along with there's clearly some issues with population but how exactly you address it i mean that's that's a whole other can of worms but i do think that if we had more uh evenly spread out uh populations i think that would 
go a long way towards alleviating some issues. You know, you know, Paul, the reason I, I'm asking you these questions, because how you feel about this is very important, not so much as a, a highly educated and, and I would say thought-driven person or a political scientist and a book writer, but it has to do with your generation. I want to ask you, what do you feel about gun control or this gun management issue in the country as a young person? Well, that, again, I don't want to get into any partisan or ideological leanings, but I do think it's a more complex issue than a lot of people give it credit for. I think it's not just simply just, well, Second Amendment protects it, and it's not just a simple matter of, well, you you got to put all these these controls on it to make it safer. I think there's a, a there's a, a whole lot of ways to look at it, and people have taken a whole lot of angles to it. You know, is there a certain age limit? You know, which type of guns should people be able to to have? Now, I I I do obviously I do have my own opinions of them, but I don't want people to necessarily take my opinion. I want I want to yeah, but your opinion. You know, you know what, Paul? You're a very credible individual, and your your opinion is important. And and I want to say one thing to you. I don't think this problem is as complex as people think it is. Here are some real interesting statistics attached to this whole gun discussion. The legitimate conservative estimate of weapons in this country, firearms, is about 500 million. About 50 million assault rifles, as they refer to them. Others refer to them as sporting weapons. Call them what you like. It's semantics. Less than 2% of the shootings occur with rifles. The... Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms has stated that upwards to a billion. I think it's pretty simple to say they're here to stay. And if there's a time or a demonstration with the media's will and the political will to help nurture us into a better position in this country with a tool that isn't going away, you know, it's hard to sell the American public surrender your guns when you're looking at what's going on in the Ukraine, the things the founding fathers warned us about, tyranny, foreign invaders, right? What we need to do is address the common denominator, for example, to your mass shootings, which, by the way, isn't just mental illness. It appears to be failed parenting, which is in the, the heart of this issue with these children that have this propensity to go out and kill in mass numbers. But why can't they just come to terms with the fact that we need a better screening process? We're not taking your Second Amendment away. We're just saying, let's put our resources together. And try to prevent people who are mentally or emotionally deficient from getting their hands on firearms. Listen, I don't want to continue to um, uh, tie you up on these. You know, I, I'm curious because, you know, this is about you, buddy. It's not about me anymore. You know, you could be my son in a heartbeat. In fact, you could almost be, to be really candid with you, you could probably be my grandchild <laughs> if I started early enough. But I want to ask you a little bit about your book and what you want to say about it and, and any closing thoughts. Yeah, so with the book, it's more like like what I said towards the beginning. I wanted to tackle a lot of things that don't necessarily get, you know, talked about or at least if it is something that's talked about, I want to tackle it in a unique way. And it just really was spurred by just a bunch of different things going on in the past few years. And I also did a, a uh during grad school I did an internship uh re- uh related to independent politics. But with how many people you you see routinely there's a plurality of people that call themselves independents and there's like 60 70 percent of people or whatever the numbers are that they they really have a huge problem with the two main parties but when you look at about 99 percent of elections that go on in this country federal state local level they almost always go to a republican or democrat you'll see a few 
third party and non-party people here and there, but that's mostly at the local level. Well, so, some some state legislatures have a handful of what we'd call independent. So it just was a really well all-rounded look I wanted to take at this issue. So I use voter psychology, election structures, the candidates themselves, a bunch of different factors, and I thought it would be really beneficial for people to have a completely comprehensive look at why they're this thing that they say they want doesn't happen and how all these factors tie in together. It's it's just something not something I've really seen before. And because it's such a pertinent topic, I figured, well, I think that would make a good choice for my very first book because it is it is meant to be my first book. I do plan on writing more in the future. Are you going to just, you know, I, the thing, I want, you know, we're running out of time to be very honest with you, Paul, but there's a lot more to talk about with you, especially since you are the target of my discussion today. You know, your generation, I have four young children, um, 10 through 16. You can only imagine how I feel about what's going on here. Unfortunately, um, you didn't have the, the America I grew up in and it was riddled with problems, but not like we're speaking today. It was far more stable. Maybe, uh, was stable for a, a bad reason. I won't get into that today. Listen, I just want to thank you for coming on today. And I want to ask you, uh, uh, where can people find you? You know, is, are there, is there any website or help, help us with that today? Yeah. Uh, I, for, I, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. So you can find, uh, I have a, a Facebook page, Paul Rader, R-A-D-E-R, uh, author and speaker. You can check out my website, paulrader.org. I also have a LinkedIn that you can you can follow as well. And I also write on medium.com from time to time. So just look for Paul Rader. You'll be able to uh, see my face there and some of the information that uh, Mr. Palumbo here already uh, noted. Lou, and, Lou, uh, Lou. Lou, very well. Let's Lou. keep let's keep the party polite, as Mr. Sinatra used to say. <laughs> you want to hear something interesting, Paul? All the children in my family not my children, but my nieces and nephews call me blue. They don't call me uncle. I have this whole thing about how we come to one another. So I don't, I don't need the formality. I'm sure we we mutually respect one another. Um, You know, I, I, I have to thank you for coming on. I'd like you to come back on if you don't mind. I'm going to plug your, your book today on, I I do a show here in Jacksonville from five to six live on uh, uh, WBOB. And I'm going to plug your book a little bit for you there today and mention this conversation because this, you know, listen, you you represent the future of this country. I'm not representing the future of the country. I'm trying to alter the future of this country for people like yourself and for my children. So please understand the motivation here. As I said to you a moment ago, it isn't about me, it's about you. And the last thing I want to say to you today and to everyone else, you're entitled to something better than this. Guys, this has been Between the Lines. I want to thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank Mr. Paul Rader. I I suggest you uh, delve into this young man's background and if you have an opportunity, garner some of his thoughts. He's pretty tuned in for a young man is the only way I could put it. Paul, I tell you this, when I was 29 years old, I was was flying off the edge of the envelope, buddy. Anyway, we'll see you guys (laughs) next week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Lou. My pleasure, buddy.